Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Um, It's good to be here uh, and preaching today. I was looking through my notes, and over the past, I think five years it was, I've been able to preach two times a year um, since I think it was 2013 or something like that. Um, And so uh, this past year, 2017, however, um, I got to preach six times with you. So uh, it's, that's a good thing. Uh, it's more like five and a half, I think, because I shared one with Ken, um, or maybe five and a third, because I think he did more talking than I did, but uh, I won't hold that against him. Um, but it's been fun to have the chance to preach more often, and um, it's good to, to worship with you and to lead, lead in worship in this way. Um, today, uh, <clears throat> we're reading the Epiphany text, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Um, and if you're, able, if you're able, would you stand out of reverence for the word as we read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means uh, least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you've found him, report to me so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went. And look, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there is this uh, wonderfully annoying little song I love to sing at Christmas, and perhaps you've heard of it, The Twelve Days of Christmas. It's a very polarizing song. You either love it or you really don't like it a lot, so I shouldn't have even brought it up in church. Um, It's wonderful because I love to sing the song. It just kind of repeats and you get to get crazy. Have you ever seen anyone do the motions? Yes, that's when it really gets crazy. Um, it's annoying because you can never stop singing it. It just gets stuck in your head, and then it takes an hour to sing about. So um, I apologize for bringing it up. Other than uh, I did a little research about the 12 days of Christmas. Um, there's a group out there called the PNC Financial Services Group. Um, and each year they do the important task of estimating what it would cost to give the presents mentioned in the 12 days of Christmas. So this year, if you gave one partridge and one pear tree, and you gave two turtle doves and three friends, on and on, all the way to 12, um, it comes out to about $34,558. 
to give the, the, the gifts mentioned in the 12 days of Christmas. Now, if cumulatively, if you gave all 364 gifts mentioned in the song, and you're like, I don't think there's that many gifts, Freebird, but they do sing like 11 pipers piping two times, and they sing partridge in a pear tree 12 times. So you got to add them all up. You get 364, which is just one day short of a gift for every day of the year. Um, if you do all of that, the grand total comes to a whopping $157,558. You can find out all this important information at pnchristmaspriceindex.com, and you can download a free coloring book. So, I don't lie, I just tell you what I find out over the week. So, as pointless as all of this information is, uh, we spent most of our week this last week in the 12 days of Christmas. Um, lost on some of us, the 12 days of Christmas is an actual thing, uh, and it starts with the first day of Christmas being on Christmas Day, and it rolls through the next 12 days, adding up to the 12th day of Christmas, which lands on January 5th. I believe, if I did my math correct. And then Epiphany is the very next day, January 6th. You can, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I won't be offended. But I think that's, if I counted right, I think that's what we do. That next day, January 6th, is celebrated as Epiphany. Um, epiphany is a, is a great word. Uh, it's fun to say. Say it with me. Epiphany. Yes, Epiphany. Nice job. Uh, it's, a, it's a marvelous day in the church year. Epiphany is a marvelous, uh, a marvelous thing. What is, what is Epiphany? What do we think of when we think of Epiphany? If you're stuck on a problem, you can't figure something out. You're, you're, you're stuck and, and you need to get it figured out. I had this issue and then I had this Epiphany. It's not necessarily a sacred word or a churchy word. Epiphany is used in all sorts of, of contexts. It's a sudden revelation or understanding, an aha moment of sorts, where a new pro- a problem that you have is solved, and you, and you figure your way through, uh, through the problem, and you make progress. And for the church epiphany, for the celebration of epiphany that the church celebrates, it's, it's the same thing. The text we read was actually the epiphany text meant for yesterday, January 6th. It wasn't uh, the text for um, this Sunday in, in the lectionary. Um, and yet, epiphany celebrates incarnation. Epiphany celebrates God is with us, and he has come, and he is here and the baby makes all the difference in the world. We celebrate Epiphany because something is solved. Something is celebrated. Um, and and w- with us, the celebration of God here with us in the Western church it primarily is celebrated in the coming of the Magi, the story f- that we read together from Matthew chapter 2. Um, that's, the, that's the celebration of Epiphany, and that's why the text comes from that, that um, that moment. God is now for all, even Gentiles. Magi were not Jews. The, the, the Magi were, were likely the first Gentiles that Jesus met. And for the Western church, we celebrate God with us, that God is here to solve our problems, that the baby comes and the baby makes a difference for us by celebrating the, the arrival 
of the Magi on this night. Secondarily, we also celebrate um, um, the baptism of Christ, which was a, a key moment um, when uh, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and, and the presence of the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove, Scripture says. Um, and that's also a part of this celebration of Epiphany. And also the, the first public miracle is sometimes included in there of turning water into wine at the wedding in, in Cana. Um, Interestingly enough, the, the Eastern Church focuses solely, Epiphany is, is solely focused on the baptism of Christ. Christ announced as the Son of God and the Spirit descending on, on Jesus. But as we look into this text, we find these, these guys out stargazing. We often get a picture that looks something like this. We're going to put it up on the screen. Um, you know, three guys stargazing, and they follow this star. Um, Three, three wanderers kind of venturing out over the, over the desert. Um, there's some, there's some theory, theories about w- what this star was. Um, there's there's the, the theory that Jesus put an extra ball of flaming gas in the middle of the sky for these guys to follow, or God did, um, and, and brought them to Jesus. Um, there's some, some more scientific theories out there. There was a convergence of, of planets that happened in those, those years near Jesus' birth, and, and stargazers or people who, who looked up at the sky would have noticed that and thought that it meant something. Um, there's also a, a theory that, that calculating backwards that, that Halley's Comet flew by the Earth at one of those years, and possibly that could have been um, what, what prompted this journey of these wise men, these magi, to the, to the nation of Israel. Well, they, they head west uh, following this star. You can go ahead and take that down, Glenn. Thank you. Um, they head west, and they run into uh, the Mediterranean Sea, and they say, well, well this, is, this, is where we, this is where we are. The, this star would have been for them this marker that there's an important arrival. They stop as they, they come to the Mediterranean Sea, and they find themselves in Israel, and they go to the king of Israel, and they say, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? Herod was an interesting fella, um, a, a maniac of a man, um, pro, pro, <laughs> diagnosed these days probably as, as a schizophrenic, uh, jealous, tyrannical, bipolar, paranoid um, uh, tradition holds, th- this is how bad he was. Tradition holds that he spent his last days in Jericho, um, not in Jerusalem where, where he spent most of his time ruling. Um, he kind of left there for his last days. And tradition holds that when he went there, he ar- made arrangements for, as he came to his final days, for prominent citizens of Jerusalem to be rounded up and arrested before he died. And then on the day that he died, that they would be killed so that there would be people who mourn his passing because he knew that no one would mourn his passing, um, according to that same tradition that, that wasn't carried out. But this is the kind of guy that they ran into. And, and, and these three guys that came, tradition holds that there were three, but Scripture doesn't really say that. The, the Magi came and asked this man, where's the one that's supposed to be born king of the Jews? And this guy was a little paranoid. Um, this was a huge threat to his rule and to his reign among the Israelite people. So he calls the teachers together, right? Um, it says he, he gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts. They knew 
<laughs> they knew the right answer. They, had, they, had, they got the answer right. They knew where the Messiah, the Christ, was going to be born, and he gives them the answer. And so they, they head off. It's interesting that those who were um, well-versed in the law and in the knowledge of, of their scriptures of that day knew exactly where to find um, this this um, baby that was to be born. And so Herod, Herod calls them in secretly, it says. It says, Herod secretly called for the Magi um, and found out the time that the star had appeared. A little sidebar here. When you find yourself moving in secret, it's time to check your motives. Right? I mean, there, there certainly are some secrets that are wonderful. Um, we have a birthday in our house today, and there's a few secrets going around. And I checked my motives, and yes, we want to make the day special. But, but Herod was secretly moving because he wanted control, and he wanted power. There's a lot of unhealthy things that happen in secret. So when you find yourself moving in secret, check your motives. Uh, a, lot, a lot of, Scripture has a lot of scary things about things to say about things that happen in secret and what is done in the dark. So um, in secret, he wants to meet with these, these journeymen and, and, and gives them a job to do. And so the, I don't know if they had inclinations of wondering, man, maybe this guy's a little suspect. I'm not sure we want to do what he wants, wants us to do. But unaware they go. They take their gifts. They find the child. Um, and, and a lot of the nativity scenes that you buy out there puts the wise men in with baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the sheep and the shepherds and the angels. And, and there's evidence that that probably didn't happen that way, that the arrival of the Magi happened, happened quite a bit later. If you look down in verse 11, um, my translation says, they entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, which kind of contradicts what we understand the, the nativity scene to be because he was in a, in a stable or, or in a cave that was meant for the animals to be, to be housed in. Apparently, now they're in a house. So there's evidence that some time had passed and that they, they had found accommodations and, and that we were having those beginning days. So was this a, a week after or a month after? We don't really have a, a solid timeline. Um, but we understand that, that they did come. And whatever time frame they did come, they came into the presence of the child and this new teenage mother. Sometimes we get it lost. It's lost on us that Mary was probably 15, 16 years old. This teenage mother with this arrival of this baby, um, and they fell to their knees, and they worshiped and honored this baby boy. And opening their treasures, they offered gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, and uh, Scripture says that they were warned in a dream, don't go back the way that you came, don't follow Herod's instructions, and left for home um, by a different route. Um, today I want to talk about gifts. Um, I may be the least qualified person in the room to talk about such things. <laughs> uh, I may, in fact, be the worst gift giver in the room today. I'm just throwing that out there. as It's, it's possible. I'm not sure that it is true, but it is possible. Uh, my wife can testify to that. She's not here today, but <laughs> she can testify to that. Um, Gary Chapman, 1995, he wrote a book called The Five Love Languages, right? Um, and gift giving is one of those love languages. Who, who knows one of the other five? Acts of service? Quality time? Quality time? 
physical touch and words of affirmation. Wonderful. So apparently it's a fairly popular book uh, by Gary Chapman, but one of the love languages is gift giving. No hable gift giving. I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't speak that love language at all, uh, or Spanish, as you can tell. Um, but a gift giver I am not. Um, and and she's a, she may not agree with me on this, um, but she's a fantastic gift giver, uh, especially when, when I'm able to g- give her some time to, to go shopping and to, to spend some time thinking about what she wants to give and, and investing that time that it takes. But I'm interested in one simple question today, and maybe it's not simple, maybe I shouldn't say that, but the question, the question that I'm interested in is this. What stories do gifts tell us? What are the stories that gifts tell us? What do the gifts we give tell about ourselves? What do the gifts we give tell us about the recipient of those gifts? What are the stories of our gifts? As we look at the text today, the stories of the gifts that were given to Christ's child by these journeyers are significant. They're important stories. The first gift is gold. Gold is a gift that's given to a king. It is a gift fit for a king. It's valuable. It's useful. It's expensive. It was here even in the first months of life. Jesus was crowned king of kings and lord of lords by this gift of gold that was given. Uh, He was crowned king of the kingdom of God. Um, several decades later, he would, he would bear that same title in the form of a sign that was hung in mockery over his head as he, as he hung on a cross. Here, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. That moment began even in the first days, weeks, months of his life as he was given this gift of gold. The gift of gold told the story of Jesus as king, not the ruling, conquering Messiah that Israel expected. That's what they expected from their Messiah, that the king would come and the, and the, the nation, the kingdom of Israel would be restored and they would have their glory days, like back in the good old days of King David. That was not to be the case. And yet he was crowned king of the kingdom of God that day. Instead, a king of love, not a king of power. Ruling in the kingdom of God that resides in the hearts of humankind. The king who ruled from a cross, but not a throne. Who was no less a king, even though he defied all the expectations that the nation of Israel was to give him. The second story is told by the frankincense. This was a gift of a priest. In Jewish worship, fragrances and perfumes were often used during worship. Um, uh, A commentator named Barclay writes that the Latin word for priest is pontifex, which means a bridge builder. Christ would become the bridge builder for us to reach God. He would serve as priest to bring us into communion and into communication with God through his ministry and through what he would do. Christ swung open the door for us to know God with no one in between, with no intermediator for us to to connect with God. I had a friend tell me this week that the frankincense has been marketed on the current lineup of essential oils as well. Are you guys into oils? Some of you are. 
You're not speaking up very loudly, and that's okay. Uh, so I, I looked it up. Uh, among other things, this is not me. This is what I looked up. This oil can help in, in greater health and better-looking skin. Hmm. Okay. Um, perhaps part of this gift story can be that through regular worship, that which frankincense was used, both in private and corporate forms of worship, uh, that we achieve greater health that we begin to look a little bit more like God. We look a little bit more like Christ. And through this gift of frankincense, we see um, Jesus in his role as priest, as bridge builder, the one that connects us to God, that no longer there's this chasm that we cannot cross, but that we can know God and worship God. Finally, we have myrrh. Um, while myrrh also makes today's modern essential oil list, um, its use in Jesus' day was a little different. Myrrh was a substance used in that day to embalm the dead, to prepare a body for burial. Um, both, both gospel accounts of Jesus entering into this fallen world foreshadow his purpose, his telos, what was to come in the life of Jesus, that he was sent and he came with the purpose for us to die and to sacrifice his life. In Luke, uh, it talks about measure, Mary treasuring all these things up in, in her heart. There's a, there's a line in Simeon's prophecy to her in Luke as well that says, and it will pierce your heart as well. Um, the disciples who wrote these stories, as you think about the gospel stories, you think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all written after, years after Jesus' death. And they knew, even upon Jesus' arrival, that his mission was set. And, and his ultimate purpose was revealed, even in these early days. This third role that we commonly uh, give to Jesus, uh, which is paired with priest and king, there's a third role. Have you heard Jesus as prophet, priest, and king? Have you heard that before? Um, three primary roles that Jesus served as he came to earth for us. Um, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Interesting thing about prophets <laughs> they're often misunderstood. And whether they're misunderstood or not, they often uh, ruffle, ruffle some feathers. Um, and uh, the story of this final gift, this baby sent to change the world, would fail to meet the expectations of those who lived there, those who worshipped um, in the Jewish faith. And his message would be so misinterpreted, so misunderstood that he would be killed for his ministry here on earth. And so we have the story of three gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh, king, priest, and prophet. Like I said before, I'm convinced that our gifts tell a story. Whether they tell a story uh, about the giver um, and what we love, what we value, what we see, what we think that person might like, it tells a story, what we, what we think about and what we invest. They tell us the story of what price we're willing to pay, monetary or otherwise, what price we're willing to, to give. But they also tell us an, an incredible story about the person to whom we give the gift, the person receiving the gift. I told you earlier that I'm a very poor gift giver, um, and I contend that I've always been fairly poor <laughs> at giving gifts, but I used to be better. 
I used to be better. Let me ask you a question. Uh, what's the most memorable? You don't have to answer this one out loud. Uh, this, this is just a, uh, something to think about. If you think about it, what's the most memorable, memorable gift you've ever received? Think about that. What's the most memorable gift you've ever received? Can you come up with something? What about this question? What's the most memorable gift you've ever given? Something come to mind? Uh, I remember in college when Lynn and I first started dating, okay? This is a long time ago. Um, freshman year uh, of college. I was tiny, young back then, not tiny. tiny. Um, I did a whole 12 days of Christmas thing. You're not going to believe this, but I did. The first day I gave her one of something. Day two, I gave her two of something. I did not sing, on the first day of dating me, I present this gift to you. I didn't do that, just letting you know. Um, I think I did it for 16 days, if I remember right. I'm not sure why I stopped there. I probably ran out of ideas, um, but that's what I recall, okay? Um, I, think, I think for 12, I drilled holes in 12 pennies and gave them to her. Don't do that. I think it's not even legal. Um, <laughs> don't recommend it at all. Did, did some damage to my dorm room. Um, Chapman Hall got destroyed after that. So, like, literally, they tore it to the ground. Um, I think, I could be wrong on this, but on day 16, um, I, I, I made 16 small little origami lilies. There's a way to fold a square piece of paper into a lily. Um, and I gave her a bouquet of paper. <laughs> but my goal was to say, you're worthy of my time. You're worthy of my time. I'm excited about this. I love you. Um, I'm so excited for this journey that we've started together. Um, over 20 years later, our journey continues. <laughs> she had no clue what she was getting into. Uh, I married up. So um, she's not here today. I can say whatever I want. So for our prophet, for our priest and King Jesus, who received that day the myrrh, frankincense, and gold, I am compelled today to consider what it is we can give to Jesus this day and what it says about him. I am compelled to consider what it is we can give Jesus today and what it says about him. One of the most common gifts, one of the common gifts that we see today is the gift of our interest. You give Jesus your interest, are you interested in Jesus? A lot of people are interested in Jesus. What does this gift say? Like a good idea or a deep philosophy, like a book that you can't just you just can't put down. Um, I think people are are interested. We treat Jesus like he's something really fascinating to think about, something to ponder, something to to consider. A wonderful philosophical idea. We we engage with our brains. We say, "I, I give you my interest." You're interesting. I think another common gift we give to Jesus is the gift of our, our resources. It is perhaps uh, maybe a, a bit less common than, than people who are interested in Jesus. This gift says something different than our interest. It says that, that Jesus is worth something. 
that it's a valuable cause that he has, his mission, his gospel, the life that he lived is worth giving something up. It's compelling in a way that encourages us to give and support it. And Jesus and his gospel have a purpose and a mission worth supporting. And I'm going to give of my resources. Maybe my resources is a little bit of money. Maybe my resources is a little bit of time. Maybe my resources is a little bit of energy. But we give Jesus some of our resources. And then there are those able to give their whole selves to Christ. Stand before Christ and say, I worship you with all that I am, and I give you all that I can. They throw caution to the wind and dive all the way in. And what does that say about Jesus? That he's worthy of our worship. that he's trustworthy, that he can take our lives, and we're okay with that. It gives a picture of Jesus that's good and whole and complete and wonderful. And Jesus says, this is the relationship I intended for us. This is how it was meant to be. This is good and this is right. This gift says the things of Jesus that we want to say today. I think we sometimes we give all sorts of things to Jesus. And I want you to consider that this week. I think that uh, beyond the list that I've just briefly mentioned, there's a lot of things that we can give to Jesus. And yet today the encouragement is simply this. To hold your life out in front of him and say, Christ, all that I am, is yours. I follow the example of possibly three wise guys wandered across the desert and say, it's not my interest and it's not my treasures. It's not my gold or my frankincense or my myrrh. It's just me. And the funny thing is, that's valuable to him valuable to him and he is worth that gift and he is trustworthy enough to give that gift this day this week as we uh, as I wrap up I'm going to ask the praise team to come on up I think we're singing a song here to close I have two homework assignments for you this week Um, assignment number one is simply this examine what it is that you give to Jesus is it just your interest Maybe it's just your resources. Maybe that's an easier gift for you. And you say, hmm, spend my time, given my, given my gift. Um, maybe this is the week that you say, Lord, I turn it all over to you. This is scary. This is unknown for me. But I just want to surrender it all to you. And I want to give that gift. Your second homework assignment is I want you to give a gift this week. I want you to give a gift to someone in your life, a person in your life, and I want you to intentionally consider what it is the gift says about the person. Consider the person first and give a gift this week that is intentionally says something meaningful, significant, 
and beautiful about the recipient of the gift. I challenge you today with those two homework assignments. Let's pray.